Okay, well, we are going to be studying this morning, continuing our study in uh, the book of Luke, picking up in chapter 4, where, where Ted left off last week. So, um, we'll read through those passages, and uh, we'll get into the study here. There's a lot of, a lot of good stuff, lots of miracles, um, lots of crazy things going on, so it would have been exciting times. You know, it definitely makes me wish... I uh, could have been there. We could have lived in a time such as this. But uh, if we have any uh, brave volunteers, someone would like to read, uh, starting in chapter 4, verses 38 to the end of the chapter. Nathaniel, read nice and loud. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Okay, so we see here um, a couple of miracles in this passage, don't we? Um, I'm, I'm teaching off of the, uh, the iPad here, by the way, as well. It's my first time ever doing that, but uh, I was in the car taking notes. And uh, so it just worked out that way and um, figured I would just save the printing it, uh, save the paper and do it on here. So uh, if my battery goes out or something like that, then I guess you'll get to hear the, uh, the more impromptu version of the study. But... I think I kind of know what it says here, but uh, um, so we see a few miracles in this passage here. Uh, what, what are the, someone, uh, and I, I like to kind of do participation uh, when I teach, so I'll be asking you guys some questions, so be thinking, be ready, be that person, raise your hand first, answers the questions, but what miracles uh, do you guys see in this passage in chapter four? What are some of the miracles? The healing, and who was healed? Yeah, you see Simon's mother-in-law, and then what else? You see anything else? Casting out demons. Yeah, casting out demons. We see that here as well. Um, and then in the the next section in chapter five, which we'll get to in a little bit, we see the the miracle with the fish. Uh, when they were fishing and, and all the, the fish that um, they were able to catch uh, miraculously after not finding any fish. So um, see quite a few miracles going on here. And um, it's kind of an interesting thing. I just Before we dive into the verse by verse, I just kind of want to talk a little bit about um, the purpose of miracles in the Bible and uh, why we see miracles, what 
uh, what, what's the biblical pur- purpose of miracles? So what do you guys think? Anybody have any, any suggestions or any ideas on what the, the biblical purpose of miracles is? Yeah. To authenticate the messenger. To authenticate the messenger, yeah. I would agree with that. Uh, anybody else have any ideas? It's a dual purpose to God's glory and for that individual's greatest good to be healed. Okay. Yeah. I mean, certainly the people that benefited from the miracles, like the people that were healed in this situation, Peter's mother-in-law were probably pretty happy about that. And people that had their sight restored and those kinds of things um, were pretty happy about that. But it's important to understand, uh, I think, biblically, what the purpose of these miracles were, why we do see miracles in the Bible and helping us to understand what the role of miracles would be you know, in our lives and today, you know, uh, if we see miracles today or if we only see miracles um, in the biblical times. So, and I think it helps us to be discerning when you do see teachers like, uh, like Benny Hinn, um, people like that. There's, a, there's an airport out here that I've flown over in my little plane um, that's out near Fort Worth. There's a big, giant airport. It's bigger than most city airports that you'll see. Uh, anybody know who's, who's got an airport out there? That's a, Kenneth Copeland. Kenneth Copeland. There he is. Uh, one of the big fa- – I mentioned Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Catherine Kuhlman, because these are well-known faith healers, you know, people that have these miracle-working ministries where they attract lots of people uh, with doing – their miracles are supposedly doing the miracles. I don't think they actually do. Um, and that's been proven by, by people that have followed around, like Benny Hinn's ministry. That there's been news, uh, news programs, you know, uh, stories done on that and following all these people around that were cured of cancer and cured of all these different diseases. And then you, know, you come to find out that, well, if they were cured, it didn't last very long because a few weeks later they died, you know. And, uh, and the problems that they had, you know, came back even though they appeared uh, for a moment while they're up on stage to be better. But yeah, I always see that Kenneth Copeland Airport, and I always look at that thing uh, and think, man, that's a big airport. That is, there's some money going down right there. That's not cheap to build an airport like that. And it's, it's like I said, it's nicer than almost any other airport around here. Um, so knowing the purpose of miracles, like you said, um, it's about attesting, it's about proving uh, to the people that that particular person, I think it's to authenticate uh, that messenger. And authenticate them for the purpose of what? Why is it, would it be important to authenticate the messenger? Demonstrate his deity. Demonstrate his deity, okay. That he's from God. But for what purpose? Why, why is it important for us to know that people to believe the message exactly because their purpose and and being authenticated that god is saying this person speaks for me because they can do supernatural miracles that nobody else can do real miracles that people can verify um such that that person can speak and that speaking becomes what what do we call that today the things that were spoken The Bible, right? Scripture. So it's to authenticate them for the purpose of giving forth Scripture. Um, I was once on a a missionary trip to Nepal, 
um, you know, little country up there by by India, kind of a you know little brother to India, um, smaller country. Very interesting, you know, saw lots of interesting things. Went to a lot of the, the Buddhist temples. Um, I saw a lot of monkeys. So they have lots of monkeys there. And it's really funny because I actually saw this happen, I think, once or twice. But the women that are walking, you can kind of tell, uh, especially the women uh, that are not from Nepal, because they'll kind of hold their purses out in such a way uh, that they can be snatched by the monkeys. And the monkeys will come up and rip the purse right out of your hand. And uh, the local ladies have them, I don't know, under, under their shirt or just strapped down. They, they don't, their purses aren't hanging out. And these monkeys will come up and snatch your purse. And uh, you can't really do anything about it. For one, they're, they're very mean animals. And for two, you're not allowed to really mess with them because they're protected. Um, you know, like you've heard of the, the sacred cow. Uh, in India, and it's like that in Nepal as well. You know, you can't run over a cow. Can't catch, I mean, you can't have steak. So it's funny, we had a missionary. <laughs> we had a missionary from India. You <laughs> can't run over, well, if you run over them, they'll, they'll take you to jail, because they're sacred. They, they consider the cows to be like gods. Um, but had, there was a missionary from India that, um, um, came out to, to visit us uh, at our church years ago, and I remember he always wanted to go get a steak, so we so couldn't get that back home. Um, okay, so you, know, you have Nepal, there's Mount Everest there, um, and uh, all, you know, the people there, I was in Kathmandu, uh, and then we we're part of a, a missionary organization um, that was taking the gospel up to the people in these high, like you, have you guys heard of like, like the Sherpas? that take you up to uh, Mount Everest. By the way, I was looking it up, um, and uh, you know the first guy, anybody know who the first person to summit Mount Everest is? Whitney, and then Ed, Hillary. Hillary. Hillary, yeah, Edmund Hillary. Although many people believe that his Sherpa, Tenzig Norgay, was actually the first. But he was never gonna get credit because um, you know Hillary and the people behind Hillary uh, paid for it, you know, they, you know, and he was the, the Westerner and all that, but a lot of people think that Norgay actually got up there ahead of him, and, and they often did, the Sherpas often do that, they'll go up ahead of you and then prepare the way for you to be able to get up and, and help you up in whatever way. And I, I thought it was interesting that, um, I think it's uh, George Everest, the namesake of the mountain, uh, yeah, George Everest, never actually saw Mount Everest, so kind of funny. It got named uh, after him because he was a, a teacher uh, and it taught, uh, he was an expert um, surveyor and he had sent out teams of students to go survey that area and so they named the mountain after him when they found it um, in his honor, but he never actually saw it, interestingly enough. So, um, but anyhow, the reason I was telling you about this is because there was a, a missionary outreach, and we came back and told a story uh, to our pastor. So me and the, the guy who's assistant pastor at our church, we had gone up there, spent a week in Nepal. We came back and told the story to our pastor um, about a people up there. And of course, these people haven't heard you know, the gospel. They don't really know anything about the Bible. Uh, they're unreached peoples. You've got you to gotta kind of learn the language and be able to share with them and all that. And there were some people up there, and this one guy, and they had, there was like a little um, Bible college outside of Kathmandu, 
that we had spent some time in. And uh, he was telling us a story about you know going up to the area and trying to reach the people and trying to tell them about God and tell them about the Bible and all that and couldn't couldn't make any progress. Nobody you know wanted to hear about that. Nobody believed in his God. They believed in all their own gods and they had all their own uh, religious stuff. It's very heavily Buddhist and Hindu influence in that area. And so they were trying to make progress and they couldn't really make any progress. And, and so they were praying and asking God for help. And then um, the Lord began to do miracles amongst the people there. And these things started happening. They were praying for somebody and then they got healed. And then, uh, you know, another person needed this or that and, and God provided it and all these things uh, these miracles and he said then the gospel just went in and the people believed and um, and it was great and, and there was a lot of uh, you know just a lot of response to the gospel after that so I went back so anybody have any any thoughts about that story or, or see any problems at all with that whole narrative not that it wasn't true or that the guy told me didn't believe it was the truth I mean he was told me this story as something that he had experienced but you see any theological problems with that that idea I guess it would depend on your view of the gifts today mm -hmm. modern day yeah yeah that's kind of where I'm, I'm going with it um but when we, when we came back, so we told this whole story, and me and my, my buddy were like really excited. This is, this is you know, a while ago, and we were like, this is such a cool story. You know, God sent these miracles in, and, and then the people believed. And so we told this whole story to our pastor. And then uh, at the end of the story, he said, um, well, someone read, uh, was it Romans uh, ten seventeen? I think? If anybody wants to read that, go ahead. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Yes. So that, he quoted that verse at the end of the story. And, and I stopped and thought, huh, yeah, that's true. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The word, the word of God, the teaching of Scripture. So faith doesn't come from miracles, right? Yeah, beware of those who seek signs. Beware, yeah, it's another good verse. Beware of those who seek signs. So faith doesn't come from miracles. And we were, we were hearing this story and thinking, man, you know, God did these miracles and then the people believed. God proved himself to the people. But then when he quoted that verse, and I, I kind of went back and studied it, I was like, that's true. The Bible does not teach that. It teaches that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, it's by the teaching of scripture. That is what leads people to salvation, not seeing a miracle. Because if you see a miracle, you get excited, you see something happen, then what happens the next time later down the road when a bad, you know, something bad, somebody you know, gets killed, you know, a loved one gets killed or something terrible happens to you, or maybe you come down with some terrible disease and then no one can heal it, um, then what's that going to do? If your faith is based on a miracle uh, and based on God working like that, then it could just as easily be taken away, can't it? 
So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that when he, he said that, it just it kind of changed my life. Well, people also discount the supernatural power of the word of God mm -hmm. and, and replace it with sensationalism. And we see that, in, I mean, of all kinds of churches today, you know, whether it be seeker sensitive or whatever the case may be. And it's just all about sensationalism, trying to convince people that the gospel is true don't have to because the word of God has power to do that on its own. That's right. It does. And it's, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be augmented and, um, you know, the, the word of God is powerful, the teaching of God. And when people reject the word of God, um, you know, they're rejecting God. They're rejecting the message that he's brought, you know, and that's not something we can get, be frustrated. We can be bummed out about that. Well, you know, these people don't believe, but we have to remember it was kind of like Elijah. Remember Elijah in the Old Testament was all, was pretty bummed out. The Bible doesn't use the word bummed out, but I'm describing it that way. Uh, he was pretty bummed because he saw that, you know, the message of God was being rejected by the people. And what was God's response to him when Elijah came and lamented all this to God? Yeah, exactly. They're rejecting me, not you. And one of the, the encouraging things to me, um, you know, might sound strange, you know, but having been in, involved in ministry for many years and seeing this happen a lot, and I'm sure you guys at the church, you know, the elders in the church and the deacons see this as well, as, as everybody does, but sometimes you, you minister to somebody for many years, you know, even, you know, a good chunk of your life, and then they turn away. And they turn away from the faith, and it's like... What happened? You know, how, what did I do wrong? You know, what could I have done better? And thank God it's not dependent on me doing a good job. Because if it was, you know, um, everybody would, everybody around me would be in trouble. Um, but it's not based on us. And, and one of the things that encourages me is that you see Jesus, and you see Paul, you see the other apostles, especially at the end of his life. You think of Paul, I mean, a great man of God, great teacher of God at the end of his life. Um, Many people turned away. Many people, there's these lists and a lot of the guys, especially the later uh, um, letters in the New Testament, uh, the people, you know, Demas and um, Hymenaeus and Philetus and all, all these people. I can't remember if they were, were they good or bad? I think they were people that, there's a list of names of people that turned away uh, from Paul at the end of his ministry. And it's just like, man, if he's got people, Paul, the apostle, if he's losing people, then I, I shouldn't feel too bad about it. So I, I always took a little bit of encouragement out of that. So um, someone quickly read uh, Mark 16, 20. Someone else read Acts 14, 3. And someone else read Acts 2, 22. Whoever's got it, just, just go. Mark 16, 20. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Okay. Acts 14.3. So they remained a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Okay. And Acts 2.22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. 
This Jesus, the Nazarene, was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Yeah, so we see the miracles that were done there, and that verse in particular um, shows that the purpose of those miracles, when Jesus did the miracles, when the apostles did the miracles, was to show that this was truly a messenger of God. You can listen to them, and the words that they will bring forth will be Scripture. And that's one of the things, you know, I don't know if you've been around, maybe in this church it's not as big of a thing, but if you've been around circles where people will say, you know, hey, Jesus told me such and such a thing, you know, last night. And I, I used to know somebody who was a good friend, and she had a notebook of, you know, she'd be driving along, and then Jesus would start speaking to her. So she'd pull off to the side of the road and start writing all this stuff down. And, um, and all these things that Jesus told her. And I didn't really say it at the time, but later on I started thinking about that. And if that's true, and Jesus is speaking to her, and she's writing this stuff down in her notebook, then what is, what is that that's written in the notebook? Scripture. That's scripture. Right. Exactly. If that was really God, then that is scripture. That's the word of God. And I certainly, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a person that's going to stand up here and say, hey, you read this, this is scripture right here. I'm not here to give anybody scripture um, because we have the scripture. And, and that kind of comes down to, you know, how you view those sort of things. And I think it gives you a lens and maybe a filter to look at it when you see these supernatural things that people tell you about. And you think of the implications of that. That would mean that's, that's God's word. You know, that's scripture. What, what are you going to do? If someone does say that, they, here's Jesus told me all these things. What's the first thing that, that you would do to see if that was really right or not? Look at the Bible, right? You would compare that to Scripture. So Scripture is the standard. So what? So then, okay, God told you all these things. Um, you know, maybe he did me. I don't think he did. But if, if he did, I have to compare that to Scripture. And I already have the Scripture. And if it doesn't line up with Scripture, I'm going to chuck it out and say, you're a false prophet. You're now speaking on God's behalf, and it's not true. Um, and so what's exactly the purpose of it? You know, what's the purpose of having these God telling these people these things and writing them down or telling you about them if I have to compare it back to Scripture? So that kind of comes back to, like what Dennis mentioned earlier, we believe, you know, I believe, I think the, the church here as well, that the canon of Scripture is closed, that all the Scripture that God is going to give has been revealed by messengers that were attested by the miracles that they did. And uh, so we don't really have a purpose of these miracles anymore. Um, not that God, I mean, I'm, not, I'm never going to stand here and say God can't do this or God can't do that because God can do whatever he wants, but I just don't believe that he's doing miracles, especially in the way that we see in Scripture because the purpose of it was to bring Scripture and Scripture is now closed. The canon is closed and we have the complete and full revelation, which, by the way, in theological terms would be called a cessationist view of miracles and what's the other view that's not the cessation continuationist yeah so you were going to say yeah justin peters is really good on that yes yeah one of it, my favorite quotes is if you want to hear god speak to you read your bible if you want to hear him speak out loud read your bible out loud. <laughs> i like that yeah yeah justin peters is great so yeah if you want to know more about the faith uh faith healers and faith teachers and debunking all the things that they you can get some of his materials mm -hmm. Justin Peters and uh, he really does a good job documenting that so in the text that we're in um, in chapter 4 there 
um, verse 38, you know, it talks about um, the synagogue and then, you know, um, Peter's mother-in-law being healed and all that. Um, I like what she did, like, right after she got healed, what did she do? Started serving. Started serving. Now, why, why do you think she did that? Why do you think she started serving right away? Gratitude. And also, it was, it was right after synagogue. It was actually kind of interesting to learn. But the synagogue was very much like churches today. Uh, it would be in the morning, and it would be over at around noon or so. And then after synagogue was kind of the big meal of the day, um, they would all gather together. Here they gathered together in Simon's house and Peter's house. And they would have a meal and, uh, you know, big lunch, you know. How many of you guys like to go out to lunch after church? Yeah. Or have a lunch at your house. And so that was kind of a big thing. They didn't have as many, you know, Whataburgers back then. So uh, they, they went to the house and they would have a meal there. Um, and so once she was better, uh, she was like, well, we got a meal to get ready. Let's, let's do this. And, you know, when it talks about her being ill there in the passage, um, you know, this, this illness was a, was a deathly sickness. This was serious. And, and interestingly, um, in Luke, it mentions that uh, it's a high fever instead of just a fever mentioned in the other Gospels. Luke's, of course, what's his profession? Anybody know? He's a doctor. Right, he's a physician. And so uh, he says, you know, a, a high fever. She was extremely. And you think about, you know, when we get a fever and we're like, you know, 99.3, I got a fever. You know, you're a, a half a degree over. Um, but back then, I, I would just venture to say, when they talk about having a fever, it's, it's the real deal. They're really, really sick. And so she was sick to the point there, you know, she was going to die. Um, she was so uh, badly ill, more than likely. And, um, and then she's healed. She gets up and, uh, and starts serving right away. What does that show about the quality of that healing? Yeah, there was, it's not like the Benny Hinn uh, or the Kenneth Copeland healings where I feel better, I've got a brush of adrenaline, but then I go home that later and I'm still, you know, lingering effects, I'm still worn down, and uh, I can try and, you know, talk myself into the fact that I was healed. No, this healing was the real deal, and you could see it by the fact that, hey, I'm better now, like, I might as well get this meal going and get, get uh, you know, my, I got guests here, and, you know, of course, in that culture, you know, they consider it to be a terrible thing to not be able to um, uh, provide for your guests. And um, she wanted to do that. They, she really wanted to make it nice for them. So we see there that that healing was, was the real deal. She was better almost immediately. Um, so going, going on, we see there in verse 41, Jesus had power over the demons, over all creation. Um, and he had absolute authority over demons. Um, and we, so we see these healings going on. And it's interesting that in 2,200 years of biblical history, so going up to the time of Abraham, um, there's no recorded healings in the Bible. So no recorded healings for 2,200 years. Um, from Abraham to Isaiah, um, 1,450 years, there's 20 healings recorded in the Bible. From the time of Isaiah to Christ, uh, 750 years, how many healings do you think we see in the Bible? From the time of Isaiah to Jesus. Anybody have a guess? 
None. No healings seen in that time period. Then you have Jesus come on the scene. And, you know, it says there in that passage uh, in, in Luke 4 at the end there that the people started coming. Interestingly, it talks there in the passage about when the sun had set, all the people start to come. Now, what's significant about that, about the sun setting, that all of a sudden a whole mass of people start coming out? The Sabbath is finally over. So now they can grab people and load them up on, on the, you know, on the, what do you call those with the, the stretcher? Um, which the word ambulance comes from that. You know, amble means to walk. And so the ambulance was the stretcher where they would walk them out of the battles. Um, so they brought all these people. So the people are coming in and, and you can read this and you can see the sense of the, just mobs of people. And Jesus comes. There's been some miracles, some healings in the Old Testament. But now what you see when Jesus comes is just unlike anything. Unlike anything that has ever been seen uh, before or since. You have literally everybody is getting healed. Whether they believe or didn't believe. You know, whether they're going to follow Christ or not. And most of them, of course, didn't follow Christ. But everyone is getting healed. He essentially banished sickness uh, from, the, from the nation, from the areas that he, he visited, Galilee, where he was here. Um, people were getting healed. I mean, it was just an explosion of healings. Unlike any, it's hard to just even, for us to imagine what this would have been like. And, and the mobs and the crowds were just forming. And people are coming. Later on, we'll see that they, they pushed him right out into the, uh, into the Sea of Galilee, into the lake, um, that was there because there's just so many people coming. A mob scene. Hard to imagine uh, what this was like, but he was healing everybody that came. And it was an amazing thing when Jesus was doing the, the, the explosion of power. And it's also interesting to note that the healings when, when Christ did them were always personal. So uh, there's a few isolated examples of, of healings that happened at a distance, but they were always had a personal connection to him, to Christ. And... Uh, and so he was healing people and doing amazing things. And it's interesting, too, in looking at the kind of the history of healings and these miracles that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, at the end of the Bible, you have, you know, Paul, Paphroditus, many others that had afflictions that, uh, that didn't get healed. They, they, you know, were apostles. They were still in that first generation, but yet the healings weren't there. So the healing definitely, you know, after Christ, you see the initial spread of the gospel in Acts. Um, and you see miracles and some people being raised from the dead. It tapers down. It really tapers down towards the end of the New Testament. And you can see there that that people, um, you know, weren't getting healed. And and even if they, if you do get physically healed, um, what's the? I mean, is it permanent? No, no, no. It's not permanent. And. Um, so you're, you're still got the, the curse of death upon you. So even if you get this illness taken care of in your body, you're still going to eventually die. Just kind of like, you know, poor old Lazarus. Uh, you know, he got raised from the dead, and then guess what happened to him? I wonder yeah. if he was happy about that. <laughs> I, I wonder that, too. Like, yeah. I got to go back here now. I mean, what are you doing? Right. That's probably what I would have said. I was like, man, I was really enjoying myself here. Now I'm back. I, I do. We can ask him maybe when we get, when we get to heaven find out about that. So, um, and then it you know, mentions that Jesus went. Uh, where did he go? 
to teach. As, uh, as Paul often did, Paul's custom was to go where? To, when he would go into an area, uh, Paul would, would teach at a, a certain place before he went out to the city. The synagogue, yeah. Kind of the, the Jewish uh, church of the time. So he would go out to the synagogue um, and teach there. And, uh, and so we see that happening here with Jesus as well. So moving on in chapter 5, would someone read for us uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11? On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Gennesaret. (laughs) Gennesaret, thank you. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Okay. So, a few things are obviously very noteworthy in this passage uh, as we go through it. You know, we, we see there in verse 1, the crowd was pressing on Jesus. And, and almost kind of like, we're about to push him into the lake. And that, you know, it, Luke correctly refers to it as a lake. Uh, what's it also called? Sea of... Galilee, because maybe they, they couldn't pronounce Gennesaret, so they called it the Sea of Galilee. It was called, also called Chinneroth, Lake of Chinneroth in the Old Testament. Uh, same place, same uh, body of water. Has anybody been there? A few of you. Okay, you guys are lucky. I, I really uh, would love to go someday. Um, I was going to go uh, many years, probably about 20 years ago. I was scheduled on a trip and paid for and everything, and then they canceled the trip because it was violence in the area and, and later I just kind of remember thinking well there's all I mean it's there's always violence and, you know I was living near LA at the time and like there's violence in LA every day but anyways <laughs> we didn't go so I never got to see the Sea of Galilee the Dead Sea and all that I would love to but you guys are lucky I I, I, I guess I would say I envy you but it's probably not right to say that but anyways I do um, so Jesus needed a solution um, when the people were pressing down on him, this crowd of people. Um, what was the solution? Yeah, it was a couple of boats there. Who did the boats belong to? Simon. Simon. And probably uh, James and John uh, owned the other boat. Uh, they were partners together, Simon, along with uh, James and John, in this fishing operation. So... Um, so they were over there washing, mending their nets, uh, working on their nets. So their habit, by the way, the fishermen uh, back in those days would fish at night 
and then they would, once the sun came up, they would work on the tackle, work on all the equipment and things like that. Uh, any of you guys fishermen here? Yeah? So, um, I, I went on a, a, a couple of fishing trips, but one fishing trip, it was kind of funny, it was in Mammoth Lakes out in California, and uh, there was a bunch of guys, all these guys, you know, with all their stuff, and and that really knew what they were doing with fishing and had all the, the lures and all everything. And we went out on the boats and uh, we fished all day long. Uh, nobody caught anything except for my daughter, who was about 10 at the time. She caught two fish and nobody else caught a single thing. And then we came back. Barbie rod, we always joked back in Galveston that if they had a Barbie rod, you were guaranteed to you, catch You were gonna get something, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and then we came back and there was a guy uh, in one of these little uh, kind of floaty, sort of like a halfway boat, but his legs were like in the water and he would paddle with his legs and he was going back and forth and he was just in the same lake, same day, same everything, and he was pulling up fish, throwing it back, pulling up fish, throwing it back. And so we wanted to fish, we needed dinner, we didn't have any food and so um, we were like, man, we could get some of that guy's fish. He's catching like every 45 seconds and we, we spent the whole day. But uh, anyways, we got some fish from a little 10 year old kid who needed to get rid of him. So the, the lake would make a pretty good amphitheater, um, and you could see that you know, the, the fishermen were there, they went out on the boats, um, and what was Jesus' priority? What did he want to accomplish? After having all these people coming in, healing all these people, what was his goal? What did he want to do? It said there, yeah, verse 3, he went out there to teach. And that's one of the things, I think if, if, you, if we go away with nothing else, um, so we're running out of time here, but <clears throat> the important thing here in this story is Jesus wanted to teach. He wanted to teach, uh, you know, teach about, about God and about the way of salvation, teach the gospel to the people. That is what is going to change people's lives. That is what his mission was. That is what was important for him to get out on the lake and be able to teach the people and, and that's where the power of the gospel is at. So never think, like, you know, if you don't have the ability to heal somebody or can't do miracles, and which I don't think any of us can, um, don't discount the fact that we have the ability to teach. We can teach, and it doesn't matter if you're a recognized leader in the church, uh, you're a mom or a dad, you have kids, there's friends, there could be people that are 50 years older than you, and you can teach them. If you know the Bible, you know the truth of God's word, that teaching is all important. That is, and you know, after all, what, what is the Great Commission? Anybody know it? Exactly. To make disciples is the Great Commission. Teaching them to observe, and of course, baptizing, you know, identifying them as believers, but then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Have you taught people in your life all that Jesus taught? I mean, I can't say that I have, but I would like to be able to, to say that. Um, but, you know, teaching them all that I command, that is a great commission. And to make disciples, someone, train up someone in the teaching of God's word. That is what we are here uh, on this earth to do. And that's what, you know, Lazarus got to go up and uh, he had to come back down. And, um, but um, he got to come back down to be a part of that ministry for a little bit longer just as we have the op opportunity to do it. So you see here that, you know, then there was this amazing catch of fish. Um, you know, and the interesting thing about that is that, you know, it was the daytime now. Um, the fish were gone. Simon said, 
hey, you know, we've been fishing all night. We've been working at this. And it's kind of interesting because I you know, see myself in there like, and he, he says, okay, Lord, but we'll do it because you said, but that would be me like, hey, man, I've, I've been doing this all night. I know what I'm doing here, buddy. Um, you know, and just in our flesh, and you can see him react that way, and then he, uh, then he says, okay, yeah, he, the, you know, he, um, his better senses came to him, and he realized, okay, I, I'm, just, I'm talking to someone here that just healed my mother-in-law. I should probably just do what he said. Um, and so he did what he says, of course, and then you see the fish, just an amazing number of fish. These boats, by the way, were pretty big boats. Uh, you could hold 13 people because, you know, the, the disciples and Jesus fit in these boats. They had cargo holds to fit all the fish in them. Now you see the, the, the boats are sinking. Um, in this story, too, you see uh, Simon was always referred to as Simon uh, up until this reference here in Luke, in the, in the book of Luke. And then here he's referred to, anybody know what he's called in this reference, in this passage? Simon Peter. And then after that, he's known as Peter in Luke. And so it's interesting, this seems to be the time, because when he saw, and I, I think it's fascinating too, that you know, Jesus kind of meets people where they're at, and he, he gave Peter a miracle that he could understand with fishing. And, and Peter recognized, as did the others, um, this is, I mean, this is a miracle. This is something else. And he was blown away. And he, you can see here that he says, um, you know, to Christ that, you know, I'm a sinner. You know, he recognizes his own sinfulness. And he recognizes who Christ is. He's humbled at this moment. This is the moment where Peter becomes Peter, you know. And, of course, later, you know, he has the confession. And, and Christ said he'll build... Um, his church upon the rock of, of Peter's confession, but this is where, after this, he's referred to as Peter, and uh, this is where Peter becomes Peter, and he recognizes, you know, this is somebody special, this is amazing, and also it's interesting that when people encounter God in the Bible, um, what's their response usually? Recognize your sin. Recognize your sin, right? And and why is that? Why this recognition of your sin all of a sudden? Because you recognize you're in the presence of the holy, of a holy God, and all of a sudden it becomes clear to you. And Jesus gave Peter this miracle of the fish, something he knew about and he could relate to. He knew the power that was displayed, that this man standing before him, Jesus, has power over creation. He could even make the fish obey him. You know, we, you know, you see that even the numbers, the hairs on the number of your head are numbered and he knows the number of them you know even the animals are obeying Christ you know it kind of makes me think of the Noah's Ark too that the animals went in there you know and they went to the ark and they climbed in you know God is the God over creation and Jesus now here in standing in human flesh is displaying the power of God and I think this is you know and a good example of where Jesus is showing that he is God without saying the words hey you know what I'm God but he shows his power over creation, doing things as he did with calming the waves that only God can do. And it's obvious that scripture here is showing that he is you know, the all-powerful, mighty God of the universe. And, and Peter's response is just so great and how we can learn from that, just recognizing his own frailness, uh, his own sinfulness, and that he is going to drop everything. You think about it, he just got like a million dollars worth of fish in this boat. And his response after this says that he left everything. 
I now know, see who Jesus is. I'm leaving it all, and I'm going to go follow him. And may we be people that do the same. Dear Lord, just thank you uh, for all your blessings and uh, for the teaching of your word. And may you just help us to use these things to live uh, for you, Father, to be excited and passionate, um, to serve you, Father, and to, uh, to teach, Lord, to teach the gospel, to teach the Bible to those that need it, Lord, which is all of us, of course. And uh, we just want to glorify and praise your name. Amen. Amen.